welcome to the High Vibe and Healthy Podcast. My name is Fran Dargaville and I'm a functional nutritionist with a passion for gut health and real food. I'm here to share my take on nutrition and health, answer your questions and chat with leading health and wellness experts and all-round inspiring humans. Enjoy this week's episode and submit your questions at frandargaville.com or via my Instagram, frandargaville. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well. I am so, so excited about this week's episode. I spoke with naturopath Amy Skilton, who is an expert in environmental toxins like mold and EMFs. If you're just getting started on your health journey, this all might feel a little bit overwhelming, and that is okay. As I always say, start where you're at, build strong foundations with real food nutrition, sleep, movement, and all that good stuff. And as you're ready, you can dive deeper into all of these different layers of health. However, if you've been working on your health for a while and either you're still struggling or you're really looking for optimal health and you're ready to take it to a level deeper, you're going to love this episode. This was a long interview and we spoke about two very distinct topics, mold and EMFs. So I've broken it down into two separate episodes. This week we're diving deep into mold and next week we're chatting all about EMFs. Today's guest, Amy Skilton, graduated in 2001 with a diploma in botanical medicine, an advanced diploma in naturopathy, and a Bachelor of Health Science in complementary medicine. Clinician, author, formulator, and leading industry educator, Amy has been in clinical practice for more than 19 years and working as a health educator for 15 years. Amy has a special interest in several areas of integrative health, including women's health and hormones, natural fertility, and chronic skin disorders. However, after developing SIRS in 2017, she is now studying building biology and is particularly passionate about raising awareness of environmental influences like mold and AMFs on health. In this episode, we chat all about mold, how it can impact our health, how to identify mold in your home, and what to do to avoid and overcome it. So let's get into the episode. Hey, Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited for this conversation. It's something we haven't really spoken about at all on the podcast, and I think everyone's eyes are going to be well and truly opened. I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) So Amy, could you share with us a little bit about your journey and how you came to get so interested in building biology and environmental toxins? Yeah, so my career, I suppose, started um, almost two decades ago now and that was in the field of naturopathy, herbal medicine, applied clinical nutrition and you know as a functional medicine practitioner we're always looking for the root cause of the problem and dealing with that and very much naturopathic medicine's ethos is about removing all of those barriers to healing and also you know getting rid of the things that are causing the issue was in clinical practice part-time and did some other things in our field but that all really changed for me in 2017 because 
I ended up becoming poisoned by toxigenic mold in my apartment. So essentially what happened was there was a leak that we didn't know about, couldn't see, couldn't smell, but that in combination with my mold susceptible genetic makeup, I ended up losing a year of my life. I almost lost my life and it really opened my eyes to some of the environmental influences on health that I was really almost entirely unaware of actually and it was a rude shock. So once I actually healed from that, became well, found a healthy environment to support my journey back to full health, I began looking at, in fact, I didn't start looking at building biology as a, as a whole profession straight away. What I did was I trained as a mould testing technician. So I've recently moved out of Sydney, but I was in Sydney for 15 years and Sydney is one of the mouldiest cities in Australia. And what I found was I realised very quickly that not many properties were going to support my health recovery or maintain my health. And I also obviously found out the hard way that you can eat as well as you want, you can take all the right supplements, you can do all of the right lifestyle practices, but if there is an environmental influence that is harming you, none of those things will get you very far, if at all. And certainly for me, you know, having followed a mostly organic, seasonal, local diet, you know, eating whole foods, taking the right supplements to kind of shore up any gaps, sleeping, meditating, exercising, all of that sort of stuff, absolutely made very little difference environment. Now, there are specialized professionals called building biologists or mold testing technicians that you can get to assess properties for you, but it's not a cheap exercise. Let me just put it that way. So I thought, gosh, it's far better if I actually just do the training. And so I went and studied how to become a mold testing technician purely from the point of view that I really needed to be able to assess a property to know whether it was going to be safe for me or not. But what happened was it really lifted the lid on building biology as a profession and really opened my eyes that in the context of root cause medicine, it's a really big blind spot in clinical practice here and especially in allopathy, but even in the naturopathic profession, you know, we're taught about chemicals and food. We talk about, we're taught about chemicals and cleaning products and personal care. And I think most people kind of have an inkling that Wi-Fi isn't good for you, but kind of that's, so it kind of stops there. And I realized that once I'd learned and seen these things, I couldn't really come back for it, from it without exploring the rest. And so I'm now halfway through, in fact, almost finished training as an electromagnetic field testing technician. And I am going to go on to do the full building bi biology qualifications, less so to become a lady tradie, I like to call it. I don't particularly see myself going into other people's homes and doing assessments, but more from an education point of view and raising awareness in the general public, but also training my fellow health professionals because, you know, we've got so, so many skilled clinicians out there who are doing an incredible job, 
But to use one example, if someone has water damage and mold in their home, you can use the best natural antihistamines and anti-allergy herbs and clean up the diet and do a, you know, a gut reprogramming of the immune system and someone will continue to have hasn't been identified and hasn't been addressed. So it's a bit of a long-winded answer to your question, but that was really how I sort of came to do a bit of a bit of a, um, a detour into something new. Yeah, I love that. That's a really fascinating journey. And what I would really love to know is for you what that process looked like of figuring out that mould was, you know, the, the key problem for you because, um, you know, there's so many places we need to look and obviously as a practitioner, you know, you were doing all the right things as you said, but at what point did you, um, you know, realise that mould may have been a problem for you and how did you go about figuring that out? So the journey is different for everyone, I think. And for me, there were a couple of, I suppose, really fortunate factors at play. So I was somewhat aware of SIRS and mould illness. I'd worked with a colleague who had experienced what I was going to experience in the not too distant future at the time. And so, you know, she would sort of talk about it on and off. So it was sort of, there was a bit of a subconscious awareness of it, um, although I really lacked a full and deep understanding of, of what that entailed and what it looked like. But the seed had been planted in the back of my mind. So it wasn't like I didn't know what this thing was called or that it existed. But in addition to that, we also were just very, very fortunate. We moved into a property in Manly on Darley Road and it had just been recently renovated and it was beautiful. It was, you know, within walking distance to the Fairy Bower, which if you know the northern beaches of Sydney is just the most magical place on the northern beaches. And it was a northeast position, lots of ventilation, lots of sunlight, um, and that also sort of contributed to the delay actually of working out what it was because we never really got the smell or the visual um, signs of there being mould. But what happened was when we first moved in, we had a call from the strata who said uh, we were on sort of level one or the first floor of the building, but there was a garage, concrete sort of garage area underneath. It was like a little three-storey block there. And we had a call from the strata saying, oh, there's a leak into someone's garage place. Can we come and check it out? And we had only just been in there for a couple of weeks. It was right before Christmas. I said, yeah, come on in. Uh, and then the plumber very quickly identified that, yes, it was coming from our property. But at the time I sort of thought it must have been below the subfloor because we couldn't see any water. We couldn't smell any mould. And we just kind of forgot about it and figured that, you know, someone would come back after Christmas to fix it and whoever's garage was being impacted below would, you know, obviously get sorted out. But what we didn't know was that the water was actually coming in under the carpets. Every time we showered, the issue was with the, I don't know if it was the waterproof membrane or the tiling in the end. I was, I was too unwell at the time to really get the details. But basically every time the shower was being used, litres and litres and litres of water were leaking out into the property and under the carpet. Now, because of the ventilation and the sunlight, we never saw it, smelt it, felt it. There was only one day, actually, I said to my partner, I feel like the carpet's a bit damp, but it was 
far away from the bathroom, actually over by the ranch slider on the balcony. And, you know, Sydney's quite humid. We were near the ocean. Just kind of wrote it off as ambient moisture um, that was on the surface of the carpet rather than it being water underneath. And so, you know, I spent a couple of months having a nice summer break there, not doing very much. And so I didn't really notice that my health was going downhill because I wasn't really doing a lot other than swimming at the beach and reading a book and just pottering around. So I didn't notice that my energy was declining. I didn't notice that my weight was going up. I didn't notice that my memory was starting to go because I wasn't working and I wasn't studying at the time. And so it wasn't really until about three months later, February 1st, that I started um, trying to get back into work and I realized how exhausted I was and I thought I was just a bit burnt out. So I moved sort of my start date for some personal projects back to March but thought, gosh, all right, I need to get back into a bit of a routine. I need to get some discipline in my life. I need to, you know, start prioritizing my vitality because it clearly wasn't where it used to be and so I tried to get back into an exercise routine and every time I did a workout I'd have to go back to bed for four hours I was absolutely exhausted but like most people who experience this the symptoms come on slowly sometimes quickly but often you know quite separately to each other and there's always some other logical, rational reason why. And I just thought I was really unfit. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I just bit, bit out of condition and just needed to get, you know, back into a routine. But from there, things started to deteriorate quite quickly. And then with the turn of season, when think there was less sun, we started to sort of get musty smells. And then I just, one day, just the penny dropped. In fact, what it was, was a friend of mine had been impacted by a water lead and it was like a light bulb went off in the back of my head. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's the leak from the shower. And that's when I sort of really sprang into action and engaged a building biologist for the first time because the first thing I did was reach out to the real estate agent and most real estate agents are entirely ignorant of the adverse health effects of mould and sadly most of them are pretty lax with their job. They're just quite happy to collect, you know, the commission on the rent and have do as little as possible and so I was told that it wasn't a big deal and that everyone had a little bit of mould, Could have been it had been raining recently and not to worry about it. But because of the plumber coming in months and months earlier, I knew there was a bigger problem. But because I wasn't getting anywhere with the real estate agent, I had to engage a professional really to prove that the issue was a result of a water leak, which was... I guess the the beginning of the journey for me really because that revealed exactly what was going on. The moisture map was able to track back the water source to the bathroom and the ERMI and Hertz Me Too scores, which are you know one of the methods with which we assess how moldy a property is, revealed that it was incredibly moldy, in fact, off the charts moldy and entirely too dangerous for me to be in the property a moment longer. So it was a big year for me, 2017. <laughs> yeah, wow. And and I think 
It's so funny what you said about the real estate agent because um, we're in a unit now. We're just about to to move out, but just in the last couple of weeks, I've been seeing some you know small amounts of visible mold. And you know, again, like you said, it's probably it's probably been here for some time. We just haven't been able to see it. And I had a very similar experience with the real estate agent. And I'm just so glad that we're moving out of this place. Um, soon but yeah they just they they don't understand you know they're a real estate agent but yeah in this Mm. case for example you know they're like oh just go and get a thing of damper it and leave it in the room and I'm like Mm. "Mm, yeah that's not particularly helpful but uh it's actually really unfortunate there was a parliamentary inquiry into biotoxin illness in 2018 and the real estate institute of new south wales just flat out denied that mold was a health problem Mm. and it's not in their financial interests to understand that it is Mm. because it opens a whole other can of worms of liability um and it and it's challenging also because to be fair there is also issues with occupant behavior Mm. and so people who don't ventilate the property well enough or they don't maintain you know, renters or real estate agents. Um, but they also, um, I, I know particularly for the real estate agent that was managing ours, months later we were on their database obviously for newsletters and they sent out a newsletter. It must have been around Easter time or I'm not sure, maybe the June long weekend, basically reminding tenants what was considered an emergency and you could engage an emergency tradesperson um, and what wasn't, and they did not deem a, a burst water pipe or, or a, a, sorry, a roof leak as an emergency. Now, if you don't wow. have those materials dry in 48 hours, you have a serious mould problem on your hands. And so they are willfully ignorant, I believe, based on the submission that they made to the par- to Parliament Back in 2018, they don't want to know. They want to deny that it's an issue because as long as they maintain that position, they are attempting to avoid responsibility for the adequate maintenance of someone's investment property when things like water intrusion from a roof leak or a burst pipe actually happen. And it's part of my personal mission to make sure that that doesn't persist (laughs) for too much longer. And in fact, I, you know, I have been taking clients to the tribunal and helping them break break leases, get moving costs and get compensation because the evidence is there. Um, Admittedly, there is, because of this denial and effectively gaslighting, even from the medical system, there is limited amounts of being re- research being done, but there is a substantial amount of evidence in the literature already that highlights that this is a serious human health issue. And so, I'm sh- you know I'm sure the day will come, but I haven't lost a case yet. And it's exactly for that reason, you know, you're in a position now where there's a a moisture problem that they haven't even bothered to come and investigate. Like if you're in a unit, you've got units next door, underneath you probably, or above you or a roof above you that might have a water leak. You might also have a strata that are not maintaining the building properly and the guttering is clogged. And so in a heavy rain, you're getting water backwashing into the eaves and coming into the building envelope. 
And so the fact that they're not even bothering to investigate the moisture source is just outrageously irresponsible. And, you know, as someone who had an investment property myself is so reckless as well with someone's investment, but it's, it's you know, whoever's living inside the property that's going to suffer the most because you're the one that's breathing in the mycotoxins, the endotoxin, the hyphae, the spores, you know, the when there's water intrusion into a building, it's not just mold that grows. Every microbe in that building comes to life. And so it's a chemical and microbial soup that you are asking people to inhale, ingest and absorb. And it's just not good enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, this is just so helpful and fascinating to hear. And I know this is such a confronting thing for people as well, because if they suspect that this is something that they are experiencing, you know, it's it's huge because it's your home, whether it's a rental property or, you know, um, mm. you own the property. It's, it's such yep. a huge thing to have to um, firstly look into that, but then you know, considering having to move for something like mold. But, you know, mm. I imagine in your experience, you can reflect back and say, yes, it's a huge challenge, but it's so worth going through all that to, you know, get away from that. Just a short break from the episode to let you know that I'm currently offering free strategy sessions. This is a 20 minute call with me to discuss your current health challenges and goals and for you to find out more about how functional nutrition can support you. If you're sick and tired of putting up with frustrating symptoms and you're ready to wake up feeling light, energized and healthy, I reckon it's time to take action. Head to frandargaville.com forward slash strategy session or the link in the show notes to book your free strategy session. Many of them are nephrotoxic, hepatotoxic, neurotoxic, meaning they damage your kidneys, they damage your liver, they damage your lungs, they damage your brain, they damage your gastrointestinal tract, they destroy your microbiome. Um, However, there is a subset of the human population that have a genetic makeup whereby their immune system responds in an extremely aggressive and persistent way. And I'm one of them. And what that means is they get much sicker, much quicker, which can actually make it quite tricky to identify there's a problem as well, because if only one person in, say, a household of four is ill, it would be very easy for the three people that are feeling okay or not as sick to say, well, it can't be that because I'm fine. Wouldn't we all feel sick? Um, But when you are the person that has the genetic sensitivity the even as much as this must sound very confronting for anyone who might be hearing it for the first time and not going to lie it is an overwhelming and challenging thing to navigate the flip side of that is it's such a relief to know why you're so unwell why you have ongoing fatigue why your body's in so much pain why you're chronically sick and there's, you know, there's a set of symptoms that are very common to those of us that have the mold susceptible genetic makeup. But when you know what to look for, when you know how to keep your home mold free, you then actually have the power to stay well. Um, but the the journey from A to B can be tricky because unfortunately in Australia, 
the prevalence of water damaged buildings is very high. So I personally think it's probably about the same as the USA, which is one in two buildings, which means you've got a 50-50 chance that your home is water damaged. And if your home isn't, well, then your workplace is quite likely to be, mm. uh, which is a pretty scary thought. Um, certainly there are, are certain parts of Australia that are more prone to mould for microclimate reasons, Sydney being one of them. I have to say when I was looking for a rental property in Sydney on the northern beaches, I looked at more than 300 properties and I can count on one hand how many of them weren't obviously water damaged. So What's terrifying about that statistic, not that I want to be on this train of scaring people, but just to really, I just really want to cement in people's minds, it's not a problem that someone else has. It's not a problem that is never going to affect you. You know, 98.3% of the properties I looked at were obviously water damaged and therefore mouldy, but... 80% of the time, water damage and mould problems are actually not visible to the naked eye. And so it can really be quite tricky to know as someone who's not trained on how to assess a a water damaged building to know if your home is making you sick. And so I suppose there's two things I want people to take away from this. Number one, the best thing you can do is prevent mould from taking hold and I'll give you some tips on how to do that in just a minute Um, because the alternative is if you end up in my situation and you have my genetic makeup not only do you have the challenge of trying to find a safe home to live in which was you know as you've just heard incredibly challenging but all of your belongings as well are often contaminated as a result of the mould and moisture intrusion. And so this often can mean, I spent, I think, more than $1,000 on dry cleaning my clothing. We had to replace all of our porous um, possessions, so couch, cushions, mats. I still ended up having to discard a couple of them. But, um, you know, I lost a lot of my certificates, my qualifications. I had to get rid of all of my textbooks. I lost all of my childhood photos, you know, photos of relatives that, you know, are no longer with us and having to hand remediate every single thing that I owned whilst I was sick, which I don't recommend by the way, but I had the time. um, I didn't have anything else to do. So, and I was learning, so I was quite happy to do it, but I would generally recommend a remediator to do all of those things because it can actually make you a lot sicker and delay recovery and, and cause permanent damage. But the ideal scenario is that you maintain the microbiome of your home in a way that mold can't take hold. So this, it's really very simple. Now, simple is not necessarily easy, but it is really as simple and as hard as this. So number one, you always want to maintain the humidity inside your home between 45 and 55%. Now, you're going to need two tools to do that. One is a thermohygrometer, which you can get really cheaply. I think they're about $20, $25. You can order them online, but I think Places like J Car and Bunnings, like sort of hardware store type places, often sell them. Now, the purpose of a thermohygrometer is to just to tell you what the relative humidity 
is in your home at any given time. And they also tell you what the temperature is as a as an aside. There are a battery-operated LED um, device that you can kind of place anywhere on a bookshelf, you know, stick it to a wall or a door um, or put it on a, a windowsill and just keep an eye on the humidity. Now, I think I bought I bought two in 2017 and I still haven't had to change the batteries. So very low cost to run. And anytime the humidity starts to approach 60, you can close the windows and doors and run the other piece of equipment that you need, and that is a dehumidifier. So there are a couple of different types of dehumidifiers and getting the right one for your climate is important. And you need to sort of figure out whether you're going to plumb it in or whether you're going to just keep emptying the bucket yourself manually. And I suppose what is going to work for you is is really going to be guided by how often are you going to be running this thing. Like if you live in a subtropical area, like I've just moved uh, to Kingscliff, if you're in sort of the Byron and Northern Rivers area, the humidity is high a lot of the time. And so plumbing it in is going to be probably my next step. Whereas in Sydney, because I was working from home, I was quite happy to just empty it each day or twice a day while I was at home. At this point, it's getting to be a bit of a hassle. So I'm going to plummet in. But those are the only two things that you need to maintain the humidity levels in your home at an ideal level for human health and to avoid mold starting to take up residence in your home. The only other thing you need to do is make sure that if you have water intrusion, so let's say your roof springs a leak after some heavy rain or a pipe bursts or, you know, one of your kids (laughs) overflows the sink or the spa bath or maybe uses the wrong dishwashing liquid in the dishwasher and the whole thing just bursts out. You just need to get those materials, all of those building materials dry in 48 hours or less. And so the dehumidifier is going to come in handy here as well, but by applying heat and also moving the air, so a fan or a blower heater um, is going to really help. Now, your insurance company might send someone in with their commercial equipment or you might need to hire something from Kennards, for example, to get it dry really quickly. And look, if after 48 hours, say your floorboards are still wet, then you can simply um, cut them out and replace them. But that's going to avoid any, you know, serious toxigenic mould growth from occurring and therefore biotoxin release from happening and essentially poisoning the people that live in the home. So I've probably made it sound terribly simplistic. And of course, you know, you've got challenges around were you away on holiday at the time and you came home seven days later or you can't, you know, Kennards is shut where you are or it's a hundred kilometre drive and you can't get it till the next day. I understand it's not always that straightforward, but those are the two key principles that will help you maintain the microbiome of your home and and really why I recommend every household have a dehumidifier and a thermohygrometer. And, you know, I would hope that anyone listening and, for, and you might be thinking this to yourself, probably going, right, put that on the shopping list and get that ASAP. Yeah, absolutely, especially in this place. But I'm hoping that the new place doesn't have such a challenge. But as but you mentioned, mentioned, you know, it's a huge thing in Sydney, so I will be sure to to check that out for sure. Um, and you mentioned briefly mm. about SIRS and your experience uh, with that. 
for anyone listening, how can they determine, you know, in in the briefest uh, sense possible, whether that could be potentially something that they're experiencing or they're just, um, you know, sensitive to mould because it's in their environment? So there's a couple of aspects uh, to that. Having a having mold in your home is bad for everybody's health, but it might present differently for different people. Probably one of the biggest red flags are allergy symptoms. So if you're always sort of waking up with a sore throat or a stuffy nose, or you you know you you have hay fever symptoms year round, um, and you you know you're kind of living on antihistamines a bit, or you're always on your puffer for asthma. That's a really big sign that there's probably something wrong in your environment rather than you having a a super sensitive immune system. But there are some key symptoms that are quite common for people who are living in a multi-building. So they can occur in different orders for different people. Some will be more exaggerated for some and not others. But probably anyone with chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or chronic pain syndromes, I would be very suspicious of where they are being exposed to, I guess, mold-made toxins like that. So if you've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, or an autoimmune condition that they can't work out what caused it, the immune response that mold can trigger for people really can accelerate the development and trigger autoimmune conditions in someone's body. But the key symptoms that are specific to SIRS are things like, um, gosh, there's, there's sort of 35 symptoms, so I won't go through them all, but the most common ones are muscle cramps, um, which may or may not be accompanied by feeling thirsty all the time and urinating a lot. But the inflammation in the brain impacts a particular um, compound called antidiuretic hormone, which really regulates the fluid balance in our body. And when you're exposed to mold and it impacts you in this way, ADH goes down, so then you're urinating a lot more, which means you're drinking a lot more. If it's really bad, some people just feel thirsty all the time or they're that one friend that drinks like three, four litres a day, when you know everyone else is kind of on one to two um, and they are getting muscle cramps as a result of that electrolyte loss. Because of that shift in electrolytes prone to static shocks, now everyone will get those from time to time where we get like a buildup of, of ions on the skin, particularly if you're wearing, you know, um, particular sole shoes on synthetic carpet and you've got a buildup of static electricity. It's also more common in drier climates where the humidity is low. But those static shocks are another feature. So is a metallic taste in the mouth. But other key symptoms are insomnia. So you feel tired all the time, but you also can't sleep properly. Um, it affects the brain in a very big way. So it can sometimes look like adult ADHD, but your brain sort of is jumping around a lot. You have trouble focusing. You you find it's very hard to learn new information. Um, it might even present as you might lay down in the evenings to read a book and you sort of find yourself rereading the same thing over and over again because your brain sort of can't 
string together the sentences and follow a story. It can get so bad that your memory presents as dementia. Certainly for me, it got so bad that I forgot, I couldn't even remember my own name. I developed what neurologist Dale Bredesen has termed inhalational Alzheimer's, where I sometimes didn't know where I was. I sometimes didn't know how to get dressed. I couldn't do sort of the basic functions of life. I would kind of wander around in a bit of a daze and I would sort of you'd sort of see half-finished jobs all around the house because I'd get distracted onto something else and I'd forget what I was doing. I often, you know, sometimes I'd be driving somewhere and I'd sort of have a moment of I don't know where I am or where I'm going or where I'm supposed to be. Um, sometimes I would, you know, park my vehicle with the keys in it and just walk away and then I'd forget where I parked it. It was really um, incredibly impactful on my cognition whereas for some others it, it's more musculoskeletal like feeling in pain all of the time you know lying down sort of hurts they have to keep moving around and their um, sort of pain thresholds a lot lower and it kind of hurts to even be touched sometimes um, and that of course impacts sleep there are of course all of the the allergy type symptoms so watery eyes waking up with crusts in the eyes sneezing that sort of stuff and certainly if you're being exposed to current mold you'll get that um, there's almost always some sort of IBS like presentation as well in a water damaged building all of the living microbes are competing for resources so water and food and so the mold is busy producing mycotoxins to kill off the bacteria. Mycotoxins are antibiotics. And so it's very common to see IBS-like symptoms, food intolerances escalating to more and more foods and getting more and more severe. And, you know, diarrhea and SIBO are sort of common outcomes of that as well and, and full-blown gastrointestinal disease. So there's sort of a lot in there. Uh, there's a lot of other symptoms that I sort of haven't touched on just because we'd probably be talking all afternoon if, if I did. But I'm sure they're probably the main ones that people might recognise and think, hmm, you know, I've had that for a while or I haven't sort of nothing seems to be helping medication or treatment-wise to get rid of that. Um, or you might even be thinking, those are the symptoms I had in that house I used to live in that seem to have resolved now. Now, if you're not genetically susceptible, sometimes it's as easy as just moving to a healthier environment and things will settle down. Unfortunately, for those of us with genetic susceptibility, sometimes, well, often moving to a healthier environment isn't enough and we, we absolutely need treatment to recover. But even so, going to a healthier environment will, that person will still go, yeah, I do feel better. Even though I'm still sick, I don't feel as bad as I did in that home. And so any symptom that's persistent, any symptom that is, um, seems to be associated with a certain home, location or room, and seems to be a bit resistant to treatment, definitely is a red flag for an environmental poison or um factor of some description yeah absolutely that is so helpful and I think you know as you sort of said if you have tried all the things and you're still not feeling better then this is definitely a helpful avenue to explore and it's it's good to know that there is more out there because I know 
often we can get to that point. I mean, I personally had chronic fatigue, so a lot of the, um, you know, things that you were explaining about losing your car and that sort of thing, I definitely experienced a lot of that. Um, but it, it's good to know that there are more avenues that we can explore and you're not stuck feeling this way forever. No, no. And I think if anything, even though this everything I've just shared probably feels a bit overwhelming, I'd really like to think that it does also offer a beacon of hope because I think for patients experiencing chronic fatigue, which I absolutely did have, fibromyalgia, which I also had, they're often put eventually in the too hard basket because medications fail to produce an appreciable result and the fatigue and the symptoms remain chronic often because they are still in the property that's poisoning them. And what's really sad about that is often people can become so unwell they can't work and then they don't necessarily have the means to get themselves out of it that easily. But I can tell you that when you identify this as an issue and you get clear of it, and you get the right treatment, which also involves getting the right tests done. And so you don't have to resign yourself to living with chronic fatigue. You don't have to resign yourself to living with fibromyalgia, all these chronic autoimmune things that seem to be just unwilling to leave you alone. I would suggest that you just haven't, someone hasn't eliminated the cause yet and I think that's the really tricky thing because this isn't yet recognized in mainstream medicine we don't practitioners aren't taught these are the biomarkers to test for this happened to me you know I went to a GP to you know get all the usual bloods done and the usual examinations just to a have it on record but you know b to get another practitioner's eyes with a different lens to really assess and rule out any other potential causes of what was going on and what I'm about to share is probably something you know many of your listeners have experienced everything came back perfect and you know they the typical inflammatory markers that are tested are ESR or CRP mine were there's nothing to be seen there and what often happens is based on those two inflammatory markers is a doctor would, might tell a patient, oh, no, there's no inflammation there, when that couldn't be further from the truth. We know there are hundreds of inflammatory biomarkers to check and different ones are elevated due to different reasons. And certainly this doctor looked me dead in the eye and said, you're perfectly healthy, which is the absolute definition of medical gaslighting when I had just went through a laundry list of symptoms that I had. But when the only tool you have in your toolkit is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And when you don't see things come back on your pathology tests, you know, they run out of thing, they run out of ideas. They they don't know what else to do. And so I just want to say there just never stop looking and consider stepping outside of the paradigm you've been in as well because every practitioner has a different viewpoint and a different line of experience. And the fortunate thing about SIRS is that there was a US doctor, Dr. Richie Shoemaker, who really paved the way decades ago for us. The literature is there, the information is there, and, of course, you know, I had a practitioner caring for me who was SIRS literate, who ran the biomarkers that are known to be raised when exposed to toxic mould 
And there they were, high transforming growth factor beta one, high complement 4A, you know, high leptin. And so it was just the doctor wasn't looking in the right place because they didn't know where to look. I've obviously had this genetic susceptibility my whole life and I've had some weird symptoms on and off my whole life that no one could ever explain. And I now know looking back, looking at the houses I was in at those times that they were water damaged and moldy and those symptoms were my immune response, immune system's response to the water damage, fungi, bacteria, viruses in that building. And so it's actually ultimately been a real gift. I now don't have this kind of background thought that my body's a little bit defective and there's something wrong with me um, and that I'm sort of just a weirdo that no one can explain. Um, and I now have the power and the freedom to keep my health at an optimum level because I'm aware now that this environmental influence is incredibly poisonous to me and I know what the outcome is going to be if I'm exposed. It also allows me to understand that if I've gone to a shopping mall or a movie theatre and then I have these symptoms in the days or weeks afterwards, that's my body telling me that that environment is toxic and I can choose to never go back to that environment and not allow it to make me unwell ever again. And so it ultimately becomes very empowering, but the journey from being unwell to getting well is kind of the first step, I think, before you can feel good about knowing what you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know. And it's a huge journey and there's so much (laughs) involved, like you said, from going to practitioners or, or doctors who maybe didn't understand. And, you know, you go through that process of feeling like it's all in your head basically and you know am Mm -hmm. I just you know like you said am I a weirdo what's going on it's just so confusing and overwhelming but um you know with hindsight to be able to see that there there was as you said beacon of hope and there's something that you could do and now you're helping lots of people to learn about this and you know hopefully (laughs) improve their own quality of life which is incredible Thanks for joining me for another episode of the High Vibe and Healthy podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to chat with me about how we can work together to reach your health goals, head to frandargaville.com. To connect with me day to day, Instagram is the place to be. Follow me via my handle at frandargaville. And finally, please note that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not considered to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment.